millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, it's Andy Goldstein here, and I've got a very special show for you today. Well, I hope it's good. I mean, I've not actually heard it yet. I mean, anyway, our cricket expert, Jared Kimber, and his trusty sidekick editor, John Norman, bring you The Dive. And don't worry, it's not all about cricket if that's not your thing. I don't know what it's about. I'm guessing a dive features somewhere in it. If not, it's a pretty stupid title. Anyway, I'll let Jared do the explaining, but sit back and enjoy and make sure you tweet and let us know what you think. Jared, over to you. I'm Jared Kimber and you're listening to The Dive. This week, part one of Does Sport Really Matter? I'm Jared Kimber, and you're listening to a new show on TalkSport called The Dive. Every week, The Dive will be a platform where we can take a deep dive into a specific topic. A show which starts with a question and hopefully ends with an answer. An answer will arrive at by means of guests, experts, random quotes, audio I found on the internet, or just dredged up from my brain. Along the way, I'm either going to be guided by or arguing with my producer and co-host, John Norman, who you know from the same place you might know me, TalkSport Cricket. This has been atrocious from England today. To start this series, I'm asking this. Does sport really matter? And the reason I'm asking this is it's gone and we have to work out what that really means. The biggest thing in our lives has just disappeared and there's nothing that can replace it. And that's where we live now, in this sports black hole. There are some replays and tweets about old shirts and we'll cling to them, but this isn't sport, it's just memories. And this pause leads me to look at what sport is to us. Is it just a few hours of the day that we have to fill to escape from the boredom and drudgery of our normal lives? Or is it something spiritual, neurological, or just a mechanism that allows us to show some emotion? He steps up, he hits it, right footed. Yes! Ah! David Beckham has scored! England have got the goal! We know sport is exciting and that it makes us happy nearly as much as it makes us sad. But why is that? Is sport actually a part of us? Can it control or harm us? Or does it bring us together and make us safer? Or does it go way deeper than what anyone realizes? Up to now, it's something that maybe we can't even fully explain, but it's a real thing that changes who we are. We are right to mourn its loss, but I want to find out exactly why. So that is what today's show is about. Does sport really matter? And here's a great place to start to remind us all what sport does to us. No way. I told you that he was going to disallow. It's ruled out. This this is the biggest VAR disgrace of the season so far. It's an absolute shambles. Absolute disgrace. Look, if you can't see it, you can't give it. So you obviously can't see it, so you can't give it. I'm not a big fan of this modern thing of saying people have got to get sacked, people should lose their jobs. But in this case, I really think Mike Riley's got to go. That was TalkSport presenters Adrian Durham and Andy Jacobs. One of the reasons people struggle so much with VAR is because it breaks the spell. It takes you out of the moment. Cricket realised in 2009 when it brought in DRS how important it is to make VAR or DRS part of the audience spectacle within the stadium. As soon as decisions are being made away from the ground, people suddenly pull back from what they're watching. They snap out of the dream. All of a sudden, it's like an unplanned advertising break in the middle of Killing Eve or something. Three, two, one. People are back in the room. And they're getting really frustrated. This is, in essence, what VAR does and why people like Andy are getting so frustrated by it. It's basically reminding everyone of their normal life, just when they don't want to be reminded. And sports fans pay their money to switch off from that. 
VAR is just giving them an unwelcome reminder in that precious 90 minutes of escapism of what is actually going on in their lives. As a general rule, I social distance from football, you know. I try and keep my distance. I want to know what's happening, but I want to know what's happening from a very safe area, you know, maybe with a face mask on, some gloves, uh, as much hand sanitizer as I can when it comes to football. But realistically, the noise around VAR, it felt like every time I went to near a social media machine, someone was having a complaint about it, some new thing that had happened. It was the biggest thing in sport, and it was like a safety blanket now, I realise. It was like a comforter to know that somewhere at any point in the world, someone was complaining about VAR. You know why it matters, though, don't you? You know why sport works? Please, tell me. Because essentially, we were brainwashed as kids. (laughs) When we were two, three, four, five, six, whatever age it was, our dads or our mums brainwashed into believing something that actually doesn't even exist. Well, I mean, sport used to exist up until a month ago. I I was at some of it. But you're saying the actual, the belief of it, the the culture, the the godliness of it, that doesn't exist. Yeah, essentially, we are all just making the decision to believe in a myth. We are transposing importance onto something that absolutely isn't important and it it absolutely warps our brains i'll give you an example okay if someone said to me if you wear a chelsea shirt i'll donate a thousand pounds to charity personally i would just rather donate two thousand pounds to charity i would not wear a chelsea shirt i'm not sure where you're getting all this imaginary money from but we do lose touch with reality when it comes to sport, right? So there's there's no way that your your ridiculous um, shirt analogy there, it makes sense to me, and it shouldn't make sense to me. I should be sitting here silently judging you uh, for being a complete doofus for even coming up with it. But the truth is that I kind of get where you're coming from. But for whatever reason, that brainwashing that you talked about before, it does actually warp us a little bit. And this thing that shouldn't really matter, or maybe doesn't really matter, matters more than anything else. And that's kind of the world that you and I live in. You know, it was only a month or so ago the Leeds goalkeeper was found guilty of racially abusing an opponent, okay, on the football field, and he was banned for eight or nine games or something. Now, my timeline, and I appreciate this is just my personal echo chamber, (laughs) was full of right-minded Leeds fans not complaining or moaning or, you know, throwing their arms in the air at the fact that their goalkeeper had racially abused somebody. They seemed to be more concerned about the fact that the ban had been handed down within 24 hours of a football match kicking off. 2003 World Cup, uh, a cricket World Cup, I was backpacking around the world. So I went right across America, then I went through the UK and eventually ended up down in South Africa. And Australia, um, do you remember, they just beat England in one of the the, uh, games. And then they, again, against New Zealand, they were really struggling. I remember just being in the crowd and like all the emotion of having to finally get to South Africa and travel around. And I think by that stage, we've been uh, mugged as well over there. You know, the whole thing had happened in South Africa. And I was just screaming at these New Zealand players who were looking around perplexed in the middle, you know, in the 15th over of, of, the, of the chase, Australia's chase, just going, why is this guy losing his mind? The whole stand, it was Port Elizabeth. It was one of those, you know, rocky, dodgy um, stands that they bring in for the big events. And the whole stand was just distancing itself from me because of how crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I am, in fact, I'm positive, little bits of spit were flying around. So I would have been a real hazard in this modern age. So here is Jonathan Liu of The Guardian who wrote this. It can be seen too in the toxic, self-interested shrillness with which some fans have greeted the havoc of a truncated season. Would you be prepared to risk the deaths of strangers in order to guarantee that your club would win the league? I don't know how many fans would answer yes to that last question, but the last few days on social media have demonstrated that it is certainly higher than zero. (laughs) Lou, he absolutely nails it. You know, it is a really worrying position we find ourselves in, you know, and he wrote that around the week that the coronavirus called off football. And again, social media was aghast asking the question, why is football being called off? And football warps the brain to such an extent I truly believe this, but if you were to say to every single football fan, go into this secret ballot box and you've got two options. Option one, we cancel all football and everyone survives. Option two, football continues and we're going to basically risk people you don't know dying, but your team could get promoted or could win the league. There would be football fans out there who would tick box two. That in itself shows you the madness that descends on people who are afflicted by sport. 
Yeah, and uh, you know we have you know Andy's rant and, and and what you've said there, which I don't necessarily disagree with. And it's not just football. I reckon there are other sports around the world where people would feel the same way. But we also have the other side where there's this tremendous love for every Andy Jacobs rant. You get a you know a Danny Kelly moment of orgasmic pleasure. Oh, goal! Goal! Stand goal at the Emirates! Ian Abraham! <laughs> In the last of the four minutes of added on time, unbelievably Spurs have got a point! Arsenal four, Tottenham four! Believable <laughs> football at the Emirates! I love Danny football, Stan! I love it! <laughs> well, 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 Arsenal should have been out of sight at the Emirates, but Harry Redknapp is all I'm over so the unprofessional. place. He's quite incredible on the side. He's doing a David Pleat. <laughs> it actually sounded <laughs> like it actually sounded like he was not on that broadcast and he was <laughs> reacting to the broadcast. They're almost like they're they're commentating around him and he's just like he's he's done a reaction tape and put it up on YouTube or something. It's a phenomenal bit of audio. Look, I've heard that a thousand times and it still makes me break out and smile. And this is the thing about sport. It's infectious. I've got goosebumps just listening to that Danny Kelly clip. I'm not sure if anyone's actually spoken to Danny Kelly about how he actually felt in that moment, but I did. So don't go anywhere. This is The Dive on TalkSport with Jared Kimber and John Norman. Now, where were we? Well, you're about to ask Danny about I love football. Yeah. It's 4-2 to Arsenal going into the last minutes of added on time. Jermaine Genius then scored a wonderful goal to make it 4-3. And I was just thinking, I was trying to broadcast away. I was talking to Stan Collymore. Um, and I was just, uh, just thinking, how can you do this to me? In the away match against our bitter rivals, don't forget I'm from Islington. I was born within the sound of Arsenal Stadium. Um, the... To score three goals on their ground and not even get a point, I, I, was, I was furious with them. And then famously, Luka Modric's shot comes back off the post there and Lennon turns it in. And I, I lost my mind. I lost my professional dignity. I lost whatever, whatever personality I might have been trying to project on the radio. We're all acting slightly, aren't we? Um, I went completely and utterly bonkers. Did it feel different? Because you see people in stadiums absolutely lose their mind. And, you know, you, you have the words to express the sort of things that many fans don't. Did you feel different in that moment than you do in a normal moment of your life? Absolutely, because I was still talking, wasn't it? I love football, Stan. I love football and all the rest of it. But what people couldn't see because it was the radio was the physical reaction to the goal. Um, and it's the same thing in stadiums. I think it's fair to say that our first reaction is entirely physical. We leap upwards. We hug the person next to us. We punch the air. It's a very visceral feeling, triumph in sport. And what people didn't see that day was that I, and there's plenty of me, so I want to imagine the momentum going here. <laughs> I jumped out of my broadcasting chair. And in doing so, I, I, I mean, I'm a tall man as well. So the cable and the headphones, I didn't stop going towards the ceiling until the cable of the headphones suddenly turned, jerked my head sideways with a snap. And when I got back down to earth and uh, the moose and Stan Collingwood were trying to calm me down, I realised I'd broken the headphones jack um, in the studio and had to very quickly, and through tremendous professionalism, reach for another headphones, put it on while they were screaming at me and put it in because I, I actually broke the headphones with, with the physical explosion of joy. Two things come to mind listening to that clip. Firstly, I lost the plot uh, reporting on Ben Stokes at Headingley and... <laughs> Mark Saggers was on air in the studio and actually at one point he told me to calm down. I mean, Take a deep breath, John. I'll, I'm, I'm uh, with uh, you here. Thank you, Sag. Thank right, you. You're at one end, I'm at the other. It's right, all one, right. Let's just take our time here. One, one second, OK. <laughs> OK, back in the room here at Headingley with a score 357 for nine. I just want to get the one run. England need two to runs to win. He was essentially reining me in and, and I, I WhatsApped him after to say thank you because I, I was losing the plot watching Stokes do what he did. And I, to be honest, even now I, I lose the plot thinking about what happened on that day. But there's something, something else that he mentioned, uh, Danny, and I think this is an intrinsic point about what sport gives, gives to you. You tell me one instant in your life which allows you to essentially just stand up out of the blue and start punching the air, cheering, jumping, going absolutely balmy. And that's what sport allows us to do. It gives us the confines and the parameters to actually be able to do that rather than doing it on the street and being locked away. Is there a time ever in, in your life when sometimes you think, I spend all my time with sport, but realistically, does it really matter? 
there came a time when I realized I was too deeply involved with sport. People won't believe this when I say it now, but I didn't go to watch Tottenham Hotspur. I didn't go to Spurs for about seven years. Um, about 20 years ago, I realized that I was so invested in, so involved in, so uh, amazingly uh, careful about how Spurs were doing that their result um, would change my mood for the whole weekend. Um, and everyone knows about this, you know, but it's all right, I think, to be to be, have your hands in your pockets and be kicking a tin down the road rather sadly for a couple of hours. But I realized it was really affecting me into the next week. I couldn't think of a way of, of amending my own behavior. So I went cold turkey. I cut myself off from the club. Now, I still look for their results, still follow them in the newspapers, but I stopped going and I stopped watching live matches on television um, and I stopped caring about the result. Now, um, it, it worked. And I, I think I found a better place in the world. And then about, oh, maybe, maybe I was off them for about five to six years. And then about 15 years ago, I started going again. But that's how bad I got, um, where I, I honestly thought it was effect. I mean, I was still working in radio and in publishing, and it was affecting my work. And I thought, this can't be right. Sport is glorious and inspirational. Um, and it's supposed to be a happy thing. And it's supposed to be something that brings you, if not joy, then at least pleasure. And it, instead, I was scourging myself with it. It was, it was self-flagellation. I had to get out of that. Are you saying then that you thought that sport mattered too much to you? Oh, undoubtedly. The, 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 that particular sport, one team in football, mattered far too much to me. Sport matters enormously to me anyway. I genuinely think that it is an important part of the cement the whole society together. A fact I think that we're going to see proven over the next few weeks and, God forbid, months um, of the coronavirus. Um, I think it connects people in all kinds of different ways. It connects people up and down through the class system in Britain in particular. It connects people to uh, events where they get a sense of ownership and belonging and all those things. So it's already incredibly important. For me personally, the problem was that I was getting so invested in one football team and their results, um, and they weren't good, their results, uh, that I was finding myself literally uh, functioning at far less than my normal capacity, mentally and I think spiritually as well. I think I was deflated. I'm Jared Kimber, and you're listening to a new show on TalkSport called The Dive. When England got knocked out of Euro 96, I don't think I spoke for 24 hours. When England <laughs> got knocked out of... I'm serious. When England got knocked out of World Cup 98, the same thing happened sport dominates your life and if just listening to him talk reminded me of Fulham beat Spurs 3-0 in about 2002-3 I was bouncing off the walls for a week it was just a league game we beat them at their place it gave me a week of high but the reverse is also true and I think part of what changes in people's lives is, is you realize the effect it has it has on people that are close to you when I met my wife she started to realize that if she was around the family and Fulham had lost, she was suddenly going to have a much worse time <laughs> in her life than if they won. A friend of mine uh, says so mixed race guy, big guy, but he said that when it comes to football tournaments, he is much more aware of the fact that he looks different. Um, there's much more cases of racism on the streets. There's much more, as we know, cases of domestic violence. Sport, if you're not in command of your faculties like Danny is and you could take a step back can actually have some pretty disastrous effects on those that are connected to the people and, and I think a lot of people do step away a little bit from sport when they realise that being in a bad mood for a week isn't just going to affect them. No you're right for all the positives of sport there are negatives as well and in Australia or England there are you know domestic abuse and sport sometimes are linked yeah, they are linked. And we can't escape from the fact that some people use sport as an excuse to perpetuate violence. And some of the statistics coming out of Australia and England make for uncomfortable viewing. Look at the state of origin. Big game that takes place in Australia. Uh, rugby league between Queensland and New South Wales. Well, in Australia, every single time the state of origin takes place, Domestic violence, in terms of the recorded figures in and around it, surges by up to 40%. And it's not just uh, rugby league. The same thing happens during a World Cup or an AFL Grand Final, even the Melbourne Cup. 
And in England, it's just as bad. The NHS themselves, who we are clapping for every Friday night in the UK, released some statistics ahead of the World Cup semi-final between England and Croatia in 2018. Reported incidents up 26% every time the England football team play. 38% if they lose, 11% the next day, irrespective of the result. And that brings in unwelcome questions about the tie-up between supporting your team and drinking too much uh, alcohol. And it's not just domestic violence as well. Think of all the fights that the police and NHS staff have to deal with in pubs up and down the country every single time there's a big sporting occasion. I remember well, back in the day, the Manor Arms in Streatham, the landlord, just before the penalty shootout between Argentina and England, he hid all the pool cues, he turned off the sound from the TV and basically told us all off before we did anything. And he was right to. And nothing happened, actually. We were all too disappointed. But very often, uh, things spark out of control. And unfortunately, it's uh, usually the women and uh, kids in the houses that bear the brunt. The other thing is that Danny has pointed out that because of this sport, because of like sort of the all-encompassing nature of the way that we sort of throw our lives into it, there's actually other things in his life that he doesn't have as many problems because sport sort of fills a hole for him. I actually worry about myself living in a world without sport, and I worry in two different ways. Uh, firstly, I worry in the wider sense that I think sport brings so much good to society, so much um, communal activity, uh, shared joy, laws and rules, unwritten in many ways, and that we pass on from generation to generation through sport. I worry about that being missing. On a personal level, I'm absolutely concerned about myself because I have an utterly addictive personality. I am addicted to music. I am addicted to film. I'm addicted to sport. I'm addicted to culture. And if sport was to be gone from us for any length of time, um, I really generally wonder what I would fill the gap with. And I don't mean that I wouldn't find some way to fill it, I worried that the way I fill it might be not to my benefit, you know, um, whether it would be uh, starting, you know, I, might be, I might start filling the gap with alcohol, I don't know. <laughs> I, might, I might start spill, filling the gap with um, weird relationships on the internet. All I know is that sport not only keeps me relatively sane, except when I'm screaming at the television um, or at the listeners uh, on Talk Sport on phone-ins, it takes up a, in, a, in a very good way a lot of my time that I think might otherwise find the devil on my shoulder saying, you know what, Dan? You could be doing that now. Essentially, Danny Kelly is just a more sentient version of most sports fans. I don't think most people can sort of step back and look at it that way. But realistically, yeah, I mean, we might all go and get in weird relationships on the internet and become alcoholics, as Danny said. I mean, you know, let's not start there. We could finish there, maybe. He's right again, though, isn't he? You, you mention any moment in my life, I know exactly what year it is. And it's because of sport. My life is... Fulham seasons, home international cricket seasons, Ashes campaigns, home and away, um, or major football tournaments. I know exactly where I was, what I was doing, when Johnny Wilkinson hit that drop kick, when uh, Damon Hill won the Formula One World Championship, what year it was at Linford Christie won the uh, 100 metres um, at the Olympics. And it's all charted in my life. That's how I order my life. And I think that goes for any sports fan. You talk about the sentient, you talk about someone who's completely in charge of his faculties. Uh, what about Andy Jacobs? Well, and you're obviously well known at, at occasionally getting a little bit carried away. You and I commentated a uh, England-Pakistan <laughs> semi-final once where we, it was almost no point having you on air. You were so upset with how England played <laughs> in that Champions Trophy. Have you ever had a time where you've got so upset that you've actually regretted um, your, your emotions? <laughs> Yeah, every week. I mean, I'm I'm better than I used to be. I was so bad at one time with Chelsea if they would if they lost. And I remember a friend of mine who didn't really realise this about me. We're very very good friends, but he knew that I'd get upset. But he took me to. Uh, he lives near Watford, and Watford were playing Chelsea, and we went together. And uh, Watford, Chelsea were expected to win, of course, and Watford went one nil up, and. 
I just lost it. And uh, on the way back, I was in such a bad mood. And he looked at me, I could see him looking at me thinking, this bloke's completely mad. And I thought, well, perhaps I, perhaps I am completely mad. And so you, you know, you have to, yeah, I'm, I love the thing, I don't know if you've ever seen Ripping Yarns, the Michael Palin thing, when he basically is following his football team and they lose 8-1. And he basically comes home and tears the house to pieces. He sort of destroys the entire house. I kind of identify with that and recognise that. What I love about Andy Jacobs is he's, he's completely honest. But every now and again, the producers on the show, the morning after uh, Chelsea had lost, we, we knew that... <laughs> We, we knew that he was going to be, he was going to reach levels of either depression or anger that aren't healthy, that are absolutely not healthy and they affect your professional relationships to, to a point. But they make great radio. You're listening to The Dive on TalkSport with Jared Kimber and John Norman. Over the next two weeks, we'll be trying to find an answer to the question, does sport really matter? And it's time to widen the field. You've heard from two of TalkSport's finest presenters, Danny Kelly and Andy Jacobs, and they will be back because coming up, we discuss moments that took place on the field of play, which have made people angry, scared, and even question whether they care too much. You're listening to TalkSport. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Listening to the dive on Talksport. Now, where were we? Well, so far you've shown us the ways that sport makes us happy. <laughs> the way sport makes us angry. VAR, go away! Don't want you. And the way sport warps our brains. And the whole stand was just distancing itself from me. Little bits of spit were flying around. So let's hear the schedule of someone whose job it is to talk about sport for three hours a day. Can you take me through your normal week? Obviously, you're on air a lot of that time, but in your normal week, how much sport are you actually, you know, consuming? <laughs> yeah, my wife would love this question. <laughs> I, uh, I'm basically watching football from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I try and give Thursday a miss. Uh, Friday, I won't watch Friday night football because that is a family day. And then Saturday, of course, there are three games. Then I've got match of the day. I never sit down without to watch sport without my book to make notes for the show. So it's like a constant thing. And then in the summer, of course, it's cricket. So, you know, and uh, it's just such a big part of my life. No question about it. Do you read as well? You, you know, and you're listening to talk sport when you're not on it. Like, is it that sort of thing? You're following everything? <laughs> 
I am, I'm sad to say, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> and I get Sports Illustrated and I read the sports pages. Of course, I do the newspapers every day. And I am a talk sport listener. Uh, so, yeah, sport is such a huge, huge part of my life. And, and I notice this when people talk about movies, great movies, and often I've, I've never seen them. And I think, oh, that's a bit poor, really, you know, but what can you do? You, you, you've only got so much time in your life. So and mine's de- dedicated to sport. You're listening to The Dive. I'm Jared Kimber, and that was Talk Sports' Andy Jacobs. I don't think people realise just how, or maybe they do after listening to that, <laughs> he works phenomenally hard, and he is constantly thinking. He is constantly producing, and that doesn't surprise me one bit. I've had to step back a bit from football, because otherwise you will be watching it every single night and all day Saturday and Sunday. And because cricket takes so long, I've just had to give that my all and any time outside of that has got to go to the family. I don't know about you. I remember recently like looking down and realizing that I was like trawling through cricket stats for about four hours while watching two back-to-back NBA games. So like at the same time I was consuming two different sports, Uh, you know, kids were in bed. So I, you know, I, I gorged myself on it. But I remember talking to an editor of mine a couple of years ago who basically said, Sports giving him everything and very good friends with Raul Dravid and he's met Roger Federer and he gets backstage at a Bruce Springsteen concert. Like he gets all the cool things from working in sport, but then sometimes he thinks, I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm not even sure that sport matters. I think he's right. I think it's actually its greatest strength. It means everything, but then at the same hand, it doesn't mean anything as well. And you know what? We, we don't have to go too far back to look at a case in point where exactly that moment happened. All right, let's head straight to Lords. There's been some dramatic action there. John Norman. Horrible, horrible moment here at Lords, but thankfully Stephen Smith is back on his feet. If you heard me about 20 minutes ago, I was telling you how he got smashed on the forearm by Joffre Archer, who has bowled in excess of 96 miles an hour well steve smith who's been troubled throughout has just ducked into another steepling fast bouncer from archer and was floored he was moving around and then lay prostrate for a while it was extremely serious uh, with all the players rushing around him Uh, he's retained consciousness and he's back on his feet the medics are out there the ashes continues but we're all kind of sitting there and it doesn't quite matter as much as it did about half an hour ago you remember what you had to say about it No, but to be fair, I don't remember much of what I say in general. So this is what Jared had to say about the Steve Smith incident later that evening on the following on podcast. But there's a certain point where a bloke has been hit on the neck and has fallen flat on the ground and he's been taken from the ground and everyone is really worried about him. He then comes back out to bat. Now, we might say that he shouldn't come back out to bat and that is a whole different argument. But to boo him at that point, what does that say about you as a person? I, I, I just don't understand. So I think there was a lot of people, you know, sort of using this for their own, their own sort of nonsense. And, and realistically, you know, sometimes it's about, is this bloke okay? And I think that had to be the most important thing. And I think that got lost for some people. Uh, I do remember being angry. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't that long ago I went to a game at um, Crystal Palace. To, uh, they were playing, I think it was Cardiff or Swansea. One, certainly a Welsh team. It was a Welsh football team anyway. Shall we find out what it was? I actually trawled through the archives because I read your piece in the Blizzard many years <laughs> ago. And ever since... You've told me how bad that game was. And I'm thinking, well, he's a cricket man. He's a basketball man. Does he really know football? Well, let's find out. It's Match Day Live on TalkSport. Cool Colin Moore is coming up at around about 5.15. We'll have all the full times for you very shortly as well. What a stinker at Sellers for Ray Parler and Ollie Wilson. Yeah, goalless here at Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace nil, Swansea nil. And after a dismal opening 45 minutes... So Swansea, and uh, was it a dismal second 45 minutes as well? Yeah, it was, it was a really bad game. Um, and I remember there was an injury, and I was like, I, I'm not, I wasn't near the, I, I don't know, they, Crystal Palace Ultras, and just thinking, this, obviously there's an injury to this person, and they were wishing ill things on him and screaming, and it got completely out of control, and it reminded me of that Steve Smith thing, and we just like, people, someone's hurt. It has to stop for a moment. Just become a human being again. We can be a sports fan in 30, in 30 seconds' time. He's still got the wrong shirt on. For now, let's just take a breath. But if you take away the Andy Jacobs rant about VAR, then you take away the Danny Kelly, I love football moment. I know. They're, they're, I know. They're... So Danny said this, which is something that hadn't actually occurred to me yet. I don't know what will happen if the lockdown from this infection goes on 
for weeks and weeks and months, I do suspect there's a possibility people will start to fall out of love with sport. It just won't seem important anymore. We saw that with the baseball strikes in America at the end of the last century. I think sport will come to an end. I see this as an age of sport. You know, we've had the industrial age, we've had the agricultural age, we've had um, the age of enlightenment. I think in centuries to come, people will look back at this as being the age of sport. And we are only now in this show starting to really pull together the strings about why it matters and actually arguing about whether it matters at all. It's the myth of football. And when you separate yourself from the myth, you realise it's a myth. I remember 2009. And there was all the build-up. Cardiff was going to have its first Ashes test. It was the first Ashes at home since 2005. It was going to be a payback for 6-7. And we got to the game. I was with Goffey, first time I worked with him, actually. And the place stunk it out in terms of atmosphere. Because you realise, as soon as you sit down, it is just a bloke with a ball in his hand running up and he's not throwing it, he's bowling it to a bloke with a bat in his hand. And... Your mind takes a while to just kind of sink back to caring, I suppose. And it's the same with the start of a football season. The first few games of a football season simply don't matter as much. Partly because the narrative hasn't started. There isn't a team at the top. There isn't a team at the bottom. There's no manager under pressure. There's no injuries. There's no form player. There's no narrative surrounding what is essentially a myth. I also love the fact that uh, we're living in the age of, what, Green Bay Packers, West Ham, according to... The age of enlightenment moved on to the the age of the Tottenham Hotspurs. Just a, a brilliant thought there. But I actually remember talking to an old cricketer once, and you were talking about, you know, what mattered in cricket and what, what didn't. And he was like, you know, uh, you know cricket uh, might just disappear one day. The, uh, the gladiators in the Roman times were the biggest thing in the world, and then they went away. And it was when Danny said, maybe we'll just move on from sport. I thought, up until that point, it hadn't occurred to me that that could happen. But, of course, that is exactly what society um, does. But, of course, Danny being Danny, he went on to say this. I, I can give you examples of when sport meant the world to me. and Some of this is very personal. Um, I can remember the first time I was made to realise about sport, and I remember this as though it was yesterday, when the Tokyo Olympics were on, not the ones that had just been cancelled, but in 1964. Now, don't switch off just because it sounds like a million years ago. I was a, I was a, a child. I was about seven when that, when that was going on. My dad was mad for sport. My dad was a railwayman bringing up a whole house full of kids on a railman's wages. He, he had no possessions, as far as I know. He gave every penny he ever earned to my mum. He must have got it as a present from somebody. He had a little red transistor radio with fake leather on the outside of it. I can remember it to this day. And I can remember lying on his bed. He did shift work. He was often in bed in the middle of the day. And I remember lying there with him. Um, and he was listening to the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And a baby bikila won the marathon. Ethiopian policeman running barefoot. And I remember the patience. I mean, it's odd. I can't remember virtually anything of my early life, this is, this is absolutely daylight clear to me. I remember him telling me how important, first of all, he told me where Africa was. Then he told me what, where Ethiopia was. Then he told me how important it was that an African runner had won, that a black man had won the race. And much of the things that he told me to this day are still with me as I go through um, my sporting life. Uh, so that's one moment where, I, where sport, I think that's a moment where, I, where it became so important to me. My dad was using it to educate me uh, about stuff that he knew about the world. I don't forget, he left school when he was 13 years of age, but he was an incredibly bright man and an incredibly decent man. And he used sport to impart lessons uh, to me. Um, as I've got, got older, I think there have been moments when you know you just think that something is so extraordinary. You, you, it, it reminds you why you love it so much. Again, and this is odd because it again involves African runners. I remember the Olympic Games where um, Gabriel Selassie won one of his gold medals. And the Kenyan runner, Paul Turgut, knew he couldn't win that gold medal. He knew that Turgut was, was a brilliant runner. He knew that Haile Gabri Selassie was a better runner than him. And yet he set out in the 10,000 metres final. And he ran and he ran and he ran and he ran from the front, still knowing that he was going to lose. And he ran and he did lose. In the final um, straight, uh, the great Ethiopian overtook him. But he couldn't do a lap of honour. He was so knackered, so drained from having to beat the Kenyan that he couldn't do it. And I remember thinking, there's a lesson for 
everybody in life that you, you can't always win, but you, you can always do your best. And without coming like a primary school teacher, that, that is winning in, in its own way. And I think Paul Turgat, in my mind, was the hero of that Olympics because he took a genius and brought him to his knees. Most of the people that I've talked to over the last couple of weeks, since I sort of came up with this idea, have said the same thing, that sport doesn't really matter, but it kind of matters. Is that, and that's kind of what Danny is saying, isn't it? I struggle with it at times. My brother's a social worker, you know, frontline social support, helping kids, um, helping families. And my parents are both teachers for 40 odd years, you know. And I sometimes do <laughs> struggle with the fact that essentially I spend my life watching sport. But, you know, listening to Danny, yeah. I mean, I think we've all learnt lessons from sport over the years. Andy, I want to start with the most important question that we think about in times like this. When we don't have any sport and the work, there's a pandemic, do you ever start to worry that sport doesn't matter as much as we make it out? Uh, no, I think uh, absolutely the opposite, Jared. I think sport matters more than ever. You realise when it's not there how much we all miss it. Let's, let's put it this way, John. It, it matters less than millions of people dying around the world, but more than most things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest with you, it matters more to me now as we approach the middle of the show than it did at the start. I'm, I'm going the other way. I didn't think it mattered as much. 20 minutes ago, but it does. <laughs> it matters more. This is The Dive with Jared Kimber and John Norman. You're listening to TalkSport. Now, uh, neither of us are doctors. Well, I'm certainly not. Um, I do take the odd bit of advice from you. But obviously, there's a few things on sport bringing us fitness and how it's good for our health and all those sorts of things. Would you agree with? Uh, yes, you should definitely get that rash checked out. But yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> it turns out that just playing team sport, for instance, is also really good. I found this in a TED Talk. Here's where it gets interesting. Because it turns out that if you can find a sport and a team you like, Studies show that there are all sorts of benefits that go beyond the physical and mental benefits of exercise alone. Some of the most significant are psychological benefits, both in the short and long term. Some of those come from the communal experience of being on a team. For instance, learning to trust and depend on others, to accept help, to give help, and to work together towards a common goal. In addition, Commitment to a team and doing something fun can also make it easier to establish a regular habit of exercise. School sport participation has also been shown to reduce the risk of suffering from depression for up to four years. Meanwhile, your self-esteem and confidence can get a big boost. Two things. Firstly, what's TED Talk? It's something to do with tech companies and lots of money and people stand in auditoriums and they give lectures on things. And that's kind of one of them. All right. Thanks for clearing that one up. Uh, secondly, that was about playing sport. What about watching it? I had a look at some stats. It's incredible, actually. So if you go to a stadium and you watch an hour of sport, you actually burn through 100 calories. That's because of the atmosphere and everything else. Also, watching sport, and this is just watching it, which I find fascinating, actually lessens your chance of depression. Um, and if you're watching sport as well, what happens is your brain actually starts to engage with it. You know, you start to work through. So your brain gets a workout and your body sort of um, comes through. So if you've ever watched a game of sport, this happens to me all the time. If you've ever watched a game of sport, you know, some, some incredible match and at the end you feel tired, it's because you've actually had you've, your blood pressure has raised, your brain has been used, you've actually had a bit of a workout. It's all going a little bit Ewan McGregor from train spotting. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family. Choose a big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays, and electrical tin openers. I was watching Train Spot, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, there's the little bit regarding the tapes. Tommy, let's put the tape on. I want to watch yourself over. They're watching supposedly a pornographic movie, and it's my goal. I was slinking down in my seat so that nobody can see me. And it was uh, it was quite embarrassing. I haven't felt that good since Archie Gemmell scored against Holland in 1978. Considering the word scoring exists in both the sporting and sexual lexicons, maybe that's something else we need to explore. 
Exactly. Those are similar feelings. You know, you're, you're tired after the event. Um, their headaches are involved. Uh, your heart's racing. And let's be honest, we've all had an orgasmic goal once in our life. Yeah, well, that's good news for uh, all those couch potatoes out there. But we heard from Danny Kelly and Andy Jacobs earlier on. It does also make you a little bit insane. Obviously. And uh, there's no one listening to this who doesn't believe that. So I actually talked to a couple of people who have worked in the mental side of sport, starting with Simon Hartley, who has worked with so many professional teams across so many different sports that it would take an hour for me to actually go through them all. We, we obviously see a lot of sport fans go completely crazy, sort of lose their minds a little bit when watching sport. Why does sport do that to us? For many people, there's, um, there's kind of an adrenaline rush in it. Live sport particularly is exciting because it's uncertain, because we don't know the outcomes, and we invest ourselves into it. You know, we're, we're following our team. I think this is why a lot of people get sort of more of an emotional kick out of betting often, because there's, there's something riding on the game. Um, so you kind of invest yourself into it and, you know, you link your emotions into it. And for a lot of people that, you know, that's part of uh, their reason for watching. That's part of the experience that they want to derive from it. Uh, so, again, I, I think a lot of people will miss that because there's a, you know, there's a biochemical hit that you get from from it. I mean, it's not not probably the same degree as um, adrenaline sports, extreme sports, but it's our own little version of that. And so when you say biochemical, so online I see people literally sharing videos of baby races from NBA games and, you know, watching marbles go down a hill and cats recreating mm -hmm. sport. Is that people literally trying to recreate that biochemical hit? To some extent, yeah. It's also trying to occupy themselves because they're going to get bored. So they're trying to find something else to occupy them. I think the other thing that people don't like is they don't like a lot of time away from their screens now. Just having the screen in front of you, being engaged with something provides us with, sometimes it's a little hit of dopamine, and sometimes it's just a, a way of avoiding what's going on in our lives. Again, it's a bit of an escapism. So lots of people are looking for something to escape into right now, something to occupy them, something to, to stimulate them, because it's all been taken away, the plug's been pulled on it. You're listening to The Dive with Jared Kimber and John Norman on TalkSport. I also spoke to Jeremy Snape, who played cricket for England, but he's also been a sports psychologist for just a bunch of different teams all around the world. I won't go into it, but there's been a lot. Uh, so I talked to him about society and tribalism. Well, I think sport's a massive escape, isn't it? You know, most people's day-to-day -day jobs is pretty mundane. So I think this is the highlight of everyone's week. We get locked into that theatre and that unpredictable outcome. We all have that hope. And then there's all the rituals that fit around it, you know, with the food or the beer beforehand and the music and the crowd so it's a great way to meet up with other friends and and have that uh, adrenaline rush every saturday and i suppose we're either gloating or sulking at the end of that day so it's a you know great way to to finish the week and you know, we see with sports fans have this incredible tribalism this the best way of putting it is to justify anything that their team does and vilify the opposition you know what what is that tribalism could you explain that well, we've all got that ancient sort of craving for belonging, haven't we? Whether we're wearing a, a red shirt or a blue shirt. So, um, you know, we'll remember the first time our parents took us off to a game and that sort of emotional starting point, that first encounter gets into our blood and gets ingrained in our character. The club's identity becomes part of us. So we passionately defend our team at any cost. You know, when England wins at football, the whole you know, mood of the nation list. So it's easy to see how that becomes a, an addictive and, and self-fulfilling prophecy there. So people are desperate to belong to these groups. We get to meet these old friends and, and tell those old stories from, from yesteryear. And it becomes a, a huge part of people's lives that they're obviously missing out on at the moment. So, you know, hopefully that will return very soon. And I see people watching commentators calling penguins and marble races and cats kicking goals and all this sort of thing. And I wonder if there's, there's something that we're missing neurologically by not having sport in our life at the moment. Well, I mentioned that unpredictability and that competitive spirit that, that we see. So we love being part of it. We love the adrenaline and the, the sort of excitement that comes with being winners or losers. And, and sport gives us that release and provides that platform for us. So... Uh, when it's not there, I guess we have to create that for ourselves. And we've seen all sorts of 
creativity and games and fitness challenges and bizarre things going on. And I think quizzes have gone through the roof of me, online quizzes. So there's definitely that competitive spirit in people that's been uh, created through the lockdown. And yeah, hopefully we can go back to mainstream sport and put people out of their misery from, from all the stuff that's been going on. The fact that there is an addictive quality to watching sport, the fact that watching sport fires off dopamines or whatever he said um, in your brain, that does indicate that kind of addiction to, to that. That's what we are searching every week. It does give us the release. It does give us the, the parameters to be able to stand up in our seat and shout and vent and just get all of the stuff that's built up all week out of our system. And that explains exactly why, why that is. The other thing is, is the betting side of things. Now, I remember standing in the Hammersmith end about the best part of 20 years ago, and I learned a life lesson on that day. There was a guy in the crowd, it turned out, had bet on Fulham to win 3-0. At half time, Fulham were winning 3-0. And essentially, he spent the next 45 minutes not wanting our side to score. It's completely warped back round um, against what you actually went to go and see the football for. And that kind of always put me off betting on sport. So it just shows, listening back to that, just how it affects your brain on an actual physical or psychological level. No, definitely. And, and that was something that Simon sort of finished with as well. What does watching yeah. sport do to our brain? A lot of people will miss sport for quite a few reasons. One of them is that actually sport gives them an enormous sense of belonging. And I think belonging is a huge human motivator. Belonging to something that, that I feel a part of, that, that I feel is special to me, is massive. And I think a lot of that has been removed from people. And it's not just kind of in the stadium. It's uh, on social media, that kind of contact you have with other fans. It's people sending tweets around and replying to them. Um, it's, it's reading the, the newspaper. It's picking up the, the sports cast on the, on the news. All of that stuff, I think, is, is engaging for people. And for many people, it, it provides a bit of an escape from the normal, in their case, probably trudge of day-to-day -day life. And if you take that away, I think for a lot of people, you take a huge part of their life away. You know, some people live for following their team on a weekend. Their whole week's geared up for it. And if you take that out, it, there's a huge missing piece there. And, uh, and I think lots of people will struggle to fill that void with something else. Feel free to fill the void with this show or all of TalkSport. But if we've proved anything here so far, it's that the question of whether sport really is important is so vast that it needs two episodes. I think what we've done so far really is show that sport makes us happy. I love football, Stan! I love it! Mad. If someone said to me, if you wear a Chelsea shirt, I'll donate £1,000 to charity, I would not wear a Chelsea shirt. And healthy. Commitment to a team and doing something fun can also make it easier to establish a regular habit of exercise. Not to mention that there are scientific reasons for all of this. You know, there's a biochemical hit that you get from it. I mean, it's not probably the same degree as adrenaline sports, extreme sports, but it's our own little version of that. What we haven't discussed is the spiritual aspect of sport, what it does for the community, for families, and whether there are drawbacks to all this as well. And that's what we'll do next week, so thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.